As always, it's great to be here with you, uh, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, online campus, or Hopewell campus, it is just a joy to be able to come and worship the Lord together. And uh, we are continuing our series, Asking for a Friend. Uh, if you've been here throughout the summer, you know um, how we got our questions for the series. But if not, if it's your first Sunday, um, our small groups in the spring came up with a number of questions that they wanted us to, to sort of tackle over the summer. And so this morning's question really is, is God a God of judgment or a God of grace? And I think that's a great question. The answer, by the way, is yes. But being a preacher, we're not going to stop there. Uh, I'm going to unpack it a little bit for you. But uh, is God a God of judgment or grace? The answer is yes. I really appreciate receiving this question because I think for many of us, especially early in our, in our faith, in our walk with God, we, it's easy for us to see sort of God in the New Testament as a God of love and God in the Old Testament as a God of judgment. And sort of like over time, he changed and yet, we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it's not two gods. It's not a God who sort of changed his mind midstream in human history. Um, he, he is a God of judgment and a God of grace. And we're not going to tackle the, the unity of the Bible as a whole because we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. But I, I do want to point out a couple of things. First of all, the Old Testament mentions mercy three times more than the New Testament. Uh, I think many people find that interesting. Uh, three times more in the Old Testament, God uh, speaks of, of being a merciful God or, or showing mercy to his people than even in the New Testament. And, and there's equal treatment to God's grace and faithfulness in both the New, Old and New Testaments. Both Testaments also deal with God's judgment. All that to say that although we divide the Bible into books and, and, and into, into Testaments, it's one book. It, it, it's, the, it's, it's God's word to us. And he's the same uh, today forever, and, and we need to wrap our mind around that. God is always the same, and, and therefore God is a God of grace and, and judgment. Before we tackle the passage this morning we're going to look at in John 3, I, I want to I also tackle something that would allow us to understand maybe why we, why we look at judgment the way we do. Uh, there's a thing called judgment bias, and we all pretty much have it. And, and judgment bias is this. I want you to get what you deserve, but I don't want to get what I deserve. You say, well, what are you talking about? Let's talk about driving a bit. I'm not saying I've ever, I've ever actually been one who speeds. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just saying I'm not saying I am. But let's say if I'm speeding and an officer pulls me over in a particular situation where there were a lot of speeding cars, I was just one of them, if it were true, and he pulls me over, and I say to myself, why did he choose me? Why did he pick me? Everyone else was speeding. Why is he picking on me, right? Does he not like my vehicle? What's going on? Now, take it in a different situation, where perhaps I'm driving down the road, and someone just speeds right by me, and just sort of cuts into my lane and heads down there. Ever had that happen? Some of you have been those people. I know you have. And just sort of go down the road. And I think to myself... I hope they get a ticket. Come on now. I've even been on the highway. Well, I, maybe I haven't. Let's just talk fictitiously. I've been on the highway, had that happen, and thought, I hope they get a ticket. And when I'm driving down the road, they're pulled over, and I go, <laughs> they got what they deserve. What am I getting at? Judgment. We oftentimes like others to get what they deserve, but we don't want what we deserve. It's judgment bias. It's, it's just a part of sort of, who we are as people. And so with that understanding, let's look at, is God a God of judgment or grace? And, 
And we're going to look at a particular conversation. One of my favorite conversations in Scripture, there's a few that I just really love to look at. Just when Jesus is talking to someone who's very spiritually curious by the name of Nicodemus, John chapter 3. And in the midst of our conversation, Jesus says this, John 3, we'll start at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Very popular, famous verse here, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's interesting that passage, verse 17, uses the word condemn, but that word condemn speaks of judgment. You may remember Romans 8.1, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great verse. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That word condemn speaks of a fear of judgment. And so Romans 8.1 is saying, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've chosen him as your Lord and Savior, you have no reason to fear judgment. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. So this word condemn and judgment are really closely tied. And so he says that, 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 that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And there's an interesting picture here of judgment and grace. There's a sacrificial picture, if you will, in verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son to offer salvation to us. For us to understand this giving that God did and, and the place that Jesus plays in our salvation, it's helpful to go back into the Old Testament practice of temple worship. Not that they were worshiping the temple, but in the temple they worshiped God. And in that they would bring sacrifices. And, and for instance, a Hebrew would bring a lamb. And they would bring a lamb as a sacrifice, and they would, they would take and, and it would cover their sins. Well, how did that happen? Well, the Hebrew would, would offer, and the lamb actually gave its life instead of the Hebrew himself. And, and it wasn't that the Hebrew wasn't guilty. He was guilty. He deserved judgment. The lamb took his judgment. In the scripture, one of the, one of the titles that Jesus has is he's the what? Lamb of God who what? Takes away our sins. Well, we're going to look at that. What, what does that mean? That he's taken away our sins. Well, we're going to see that he paid the price for us. He's the one who took the condemnation for us. See, God offers grace by sending Christ. When we receive Christ, we're not condemned. And this speaks of the substitutional sacrifice or the substitutional atonement of Jesus Christ. Again, he died in our stead. He bore our judgment. Well, let's read down. John 3, we'll start at verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light came into the world. That light is Jesus. The light came into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out in God. We're introduced to this element of light, and what does light have to do with salvation? Well, it says if we love light, we're saved. If we love darkness, we are not. And we're going to unpack that in just a moment. But so far in our passage, in John 3, we're introduced to this importance of our belief in Jesus 
and that light brings us salvation. We've looked at how by the grace of God, Christ has been sent to sacrifice himself to take our judgment upon himself. And to really put this together, we got to go back to the first two verses we looked at. Jesus says something interesting that is so easy to read over in Scripture. It's so easy to sort of fast forward to John 3.16, but look at John 3.14 again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Again, so easy just to read over that and go to John 3, 16, but but what Jesus really says to Nicodemus, if you understood what was happening with Moses, you would understand why I came. And so what was happening with Moses? I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at it. Numbers 21, 6 through 9. Here's the account. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents, that's poisonous snakes. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, And as that many people of Israel died, and the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, who sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if 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 a serpent bit someone, He would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is an interesting account. So the people of Israel are grumbling against God and against Moses, which, by the way, they were in the habit of doing. And before we cast judgment, probably many of us would say we find ourselves sometimes in the habit of doing. But they're grumbling against God. They're basically cursing God's name. They're upset with Moses' prophet. And so God sends rightfully judgment. And he chooses to use poisonous snakes. And They're going all throughout the the encampment, if you will. And when they were biting people, they were dying. And and someone finally realized this is a judgment of God. And so they cry out to Moses and say, Moses, ask God to take these snakes from us. Now, it's interesting. Do you notice God doesn't do that? He doesn't take the snakes, but he brings salvation. He says to Moses, put up this bronze image of the serpent this new Houston, and, and put it up. And anyone who's been bitten, who's dying, if they look upon it, if they come and look upon it, they will be saved. And, and so it takes a little bit of trust. Now, the interesting thing, and, and I'd say tragic reality, is that there were some people in the encampment who got bit and refused to go look upon the snake. They got bit and they, they wouldn't do it. And they died. Others would get bit and they would be taken by probably loved ones when you think about it carried through the encampment. I mean, you were in a better case if you were right near the Houston when it happened, but the camp was huge. And if you were on the outskirts, I mean, it took a while to get there. And they would come, but when they looked upon the snake, they were healed. And it's fascinating to me, fascinating to think about, you know, what was causing the people to die? Well, these snakes obviously were. However, in context, the snakes were the judgment for their sin. And it's fascinating that God tells Moses to have them look at the representation of what was making them die. Isn't that odd? Look upon the snake, an image of the snake that just bit you, that is causing you to die. Perhaps the reason, perhaps the reason, is that this account really teaches us that we must take our sin seriously and confess it. 
And I think we live in a day and age, even in church world, where we don't take our sins seriously. We act like it's no big deal. And if nothing else, this account shows it is quite a big deal. In fact, Paul writes in Romans that the wage of our sin, what we earn from our sin is, do you know? Death. The wage of sin is death. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. So the first step to salvation, receiving God's grace, is to face and confess our sins, admitting we deserve judgment. Remember that judgment bias? Not not, not looking around the room or looking around our, our workplace and thinking they deserve judgment, but I certainly don't. Or, or, or even sins, I find that it's so easy to say, these sins seem like no big deal. So they don't deserve judgment. Now, by the way, usually that list is a list of sins that we have a problem with. But then you take other sins that you may not have a problem with or you think are really bad, they really need judgment. And why doesn't God just do that? Any, any sin, any transgression against an infinite God has infinite consequences. And we're all on equal footing before the cross. And, and, and that sounds so great until we realize no matter what we've done, we deserve judgment. We're also on equal footing of the cross because no matter what we've done, we're offered salvation in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, we're all the same before the cross. Deserving judgment, but deeply loved by God who sent his son to offer us salvation. Look again at John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Jump down to verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now remember, the people who were bitten and wouldn't come and look at the snake. That's what he's talking about here. But look at verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. How does Christ sharing on the account of the snake in the wilderness and this idea of, of, of a loving and hating the light relate to one another? Well, here it is. If we love our sins so much that we cannot come into the light, believe in Christ, we choose judgment over grace. Did you catch what I said there? We choose judgment over grace. God's a God of judgment and grace, but we choose. Those in the wilderness who refused to look upon the snake chose judgment over God's grace. Jesus brought the light of the gospel, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever what believes in him, those who looked upon the snake in the wilderness had to believe that they would be, sa that they would be saved from the bite of sin. And those who will believe will have eternal life. Won't perish, but have eternal life. So catch it. We choose, we choose. And we either choose to face our sins and be saved by grace, or we prefer to remain in our sin and reject Jesus. So God is a God of judgment and grace. However, he desires for all of us to choose grace. You probably have heard this said before. Why can't life just be fair? Ever been there? Do you ever notice we're grown? We, like, we grow up with that. Like, no one had to teach us fairness. We, we, we just know fairness. And last week I said part of that reason is because we, we were created. We were created for paradise, right? We, so we have this DNA within us that knows what's right and realizes that many things that happen around us seem to be wrong, and, and we want fairness. And, and I can remember my kids, especially, was, why, why, that's just not fair. You know, I want everything to be fair. 
And the reality of it is, if, if, if life was fair, I'm just going to be blunt here, we would all receive judgment. Like, that's what the fair thing is. How many of you want to give up on fairness? I do. Because God says that's the fair thing. But so what did he do? Remember the Old Testament sacrifice? It's a foreshadow of Jesus. And so the Old Testament sacrifice was this lamb who would take the, would take the punishment. The lamb was put to death in the stead of the Hebrew so the Hebrew could live. Jesus was put to death because we deserved it. The wage of sin again is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And so Jesus died on the cross. Just as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. That whoever would look to him, the verse says, believe in him, will be saved. So God is a God of judgment because he's just. But in his justice, his son's death paid our price. It's just amazing to me. Look again at John 3.21. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be, may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Grace is God's work. And before we go any further, grace can't be demanded. Grace can't be demanded or it's not grace. Grace is freely given. So we don't demand grace from God because as soon as we demand it, first of all, we misunderstand who God is and who we are. But secondly, we're really not asking for grace anymore. People say, well, if God just loves everybody, why doesn't he just let everyone have salvation? Because he's also just. That in his loving, just self, he's created a path for us to receive grace, but we've got to choose. Salvation can't be earned. It's something given to us by the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And to me, that's an amazing blessing. Because as many of you know, I've shared this before, I'm a to-do list person. And some of us, maybe fall under this fallacy that all we got to do is more good than bad when we get to heaven and everything's going to be okay. But let me ask you, how much good do you have to do? Where's the assurance in that? So you're sort of at the end of life and you sit back and you go, man, I'm going to start counting up all the good and all the bad and just hope? No. The good news of the gospel is that we can have a sure hope, a sure thing that Jesus, 100% righteous, God put the sin upon him that through him we would be saved. We can't work our way into salvation. In fact, Paul writes it this way. He says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so we might be the righteousness of God. Like we don't deserve it, but when we say yes to Jesus, like his righteousness covers us. Now, you may be sitting there and saying, Craig, you don't know what my morning's been like. I'm not feeling very righteous. But you know one of the biggest mistakes Christians make? Trying to take off the robe of righteousness because of the work that God's still doing inside of them. Keep that robe on. Claim the righteousness of Christ while he's perfecting you. If you say, Craig, you don't know my journey. It's been like this. I go join the club. I was speaking last Friday night to a group. I said, if your journey's been like this in Jesus, let me know because I'll celebrate with you because mine has not. It's been like this. 
But you know what's been consistent since I said yes to Jesus is my salvation and his righteousness covering me. Isn't that amazing? That's the grace, that's the love of God. But we must choose. See, we must choose whether we face the snake. That's one of the images Jesus used in John 3. We must choose whether we come to the light. There's another image Jesus uses in John 3. We must choose whether we believe in Christ. Do you think he wants us to get this? He's using so many images, isn't he? But we must choose. Yes, we got to choose grace. We deserve judgment, but can choose grace because of the extreme act of love of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and being resurrected for our salvation. Think about that. God has allowed us to choose. And here's the great thing. We choose him. And what's the scripture said? He chose us before we chose him. While we were still enemies of God, the scripture says. Thumb in our nose at him, saying we're going to do life our own way. He was reaching out to us. And so God is a God of judgment, but he's a God of grace. And he wants us to choose grace. And he's always been a God of judgment and grace. You say, how do you know? Well, go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In Genesis chapter 6, the world is becoming increasingly corrupt, we're told. And God decides he's going to bring judgment on the world. Do you know what he brings? He brings what? A flood. He's going, to, he's going to wash away the corruption, so to speak. And he finds one man, one man who truly is worshiping him. His name is Noah. And he says, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. And I'm going to bring a flood upon the earth. And I believe Moses probably said, what? Because it hadn't really been rain. And you know, so he's like, what's a flood? And he says, I'm going to bring, I don't know if God explains it. We don't know. I, I assume he does because he says, you need to build an ark. To which I believe Moses, I mean, I believe Noah probably said, in what's an ark? It's a big boat. You know, the thing that floats on, okay, just do what I'm telling you, you know? Trust me in this. And, and Noah starts by faith, building a boat in a place that had never even seen rain, but God says it's going to be flood. But interesting, he doesn't just build an ark. In 2 Peter 2.5, there's this allusion to the fact that as he's building the ark, he's also preaching. He's bearing witness. You, you can see the open door there. You know, one of his neighbors comes by and says, hey, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building an ark. What's an ark? I had the same question. And he starts to share that judgment's coming to the world. There's going to be a flood and you know, there's corruption. This is what the world deserves. And, and the scriptures lend us to think that he's saying to him, you know, hey, look, you know, you, you have time. The flood hasn't come yet. So it's a fabulous picture of God's grace. And you just wonder why one person didn't say, hey, do you have a hammer? Help me. Let me help you build it. Hey, Noah, do you, do you want to adopt me and your family? The scriptures lend us to believe if they had, they would have been accepted but they didn't. Just as there were people who refused to look at the snake in the wilderness, in the days of Noah, the corruption was so deep, they said, we'd rather do what we're doing. We're more comfortable in our wickedness than to choose God. But God offered grace. They just didn't choose it. Now go to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Specifically, Revelation 14. We read about the, the message for those who live in the end of days. Now, by the way, number one question I'm usually asked when we talk about Revelation is, are we living in the end of days? 
Here's the answer. Yes, since Jesus was ascended into heaven, it started the clock of the end of days. And so the key question is, are you saying Jesus is coming back in our lifetime? I said you should live like he's coming back in your lifetime. You probably should plan as if he's not. Like a retirement account isn't a bad thing. Right? Because there were people, there were Christians who believed, hey, God's coming back in my life. And then all of a sudden they did it and they went, uh-oh. You know? So we should live because he could. He can come back anytime he wants. He goes, well, this wasn't fulfilled. That wasn't fulfilled. Listen, no one knows the day or time, Jesus says. Only the Father. In fact, when people come out and say, Jesus is definitely coming back on that date, I go, you ruined it for all of us. Because it's almost like God going, I ain't doing it then. So the reality of it is, yeah, we live in the end of days, and we don't know when he's coming back, so we should live as if he's coming back today, and yet plan as if he isn't coming back in our lifetime. But we discover what? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And the proper response to this impending judgment is to choose Jesus. I have friends who grew up, I, I never grew up in a fire and brimstone church. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you may have grew up in those churches. I, I just never did. I grew in a church that preached the word of God and told the truth. But every Sunday wasn't a Sunday talking about judgment. It was talking about sort of the freedom we have in Christ. And yet, dare I say, I think as a church culture in America, we probably talk so much about the love of God, we do need to let people know what judgments are coming. Because it's not fair if they don't know, Right? And so Revelation 14 says judgment is coming. But if you want to be judgment-proofed, choose grace. Choose Jesus. So many people get so hung up on the judgment part, they refuse to see the love of God and the choice that he's given us to choose him and be saved. To have real life, not just today, but into eternity to live with him in paradise. To realize that this life we live isn't all there is. I heard a story once of a Christian pastor who came to this country from another nation, another country, and, and he, said, uh, he said, you know, I noticed something. You don't talk a lot about paradise. You don't talk a lot about heaven here. And he said, why do you think and he said, well, if you come to where I come from, we talk about heaven a lot because we don't have it as good as you have it here. And so we long for that second chapter a little more than you probably do. However, I believe there are some people in this room who are longing for that second chapter. No pain, true peace. Work done in our life, by the way. At that point, like this work that goes like this is completed. How many of you are looking forward to that day? Here it is. Judgment or grace, the choice is yours. Here's the gospel truth. Judgment is coming and we deserve it. We deserve it. But the good news is that Jesus offers an escape from condemnation. Jesus is the Lamb of God who died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. We can choose grace. And I plead with you this morning. Whether you're here on the Canandaigua campus, online campus, Hopewell campus, don't leave the sound of my voice without choosing grace. Without coming to Jesus and saying, thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. Be Lord and Savior of my life. Teach me what that means to be Lord and Savior of my life. And I just encourage you, if you're a believer, maybe you made that decision weeks, months, or years ago. It's always good to 
be reminded of the love of God. Reminded of what he has saved us from. Remind us what he's saving us to. This amazing relationship with him. And by the way, one another. Let's pray. Father God, I I just thank you so much for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who is truly the Lamb of God, who's taken away the sins of the world. He on the cross took care of that once and for all. And that those of us who choose him, those of us who look upon him, those of us who receive him as Savior and Lord of our life are able to receive the works of grace in us. Your presence, the sure hope of eternity with you and the fact that you never leave us or forsake us even now. And so Lord, I pray, I pray that if there's someone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but even now in the quietness of their heart, they would do that. That they would thank you for dying for their sins, being resurrected for their salvation, that they'd begin that walk with you. And God, for those of us who have done that, I pray two things. I pray, number one, that uh, you would help us just be reminded of, of the great work you've done in our life and that we would just celebrate you by the way we live, by the, by the decisions we make, by our trust in you, our growing trust in you. And God, that it would, it would really compel us to share your good news with those around us but they would know your love, that they would be able to give, an, give the opportunity to confront their sin by confessing it to you and by choosing grace. Thank you, God, that you're a just God. And thank you, Lord God, that you're a God of extreme love. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and thank you for the life we have in him. Thank you for blessing our gathering, but as we scatter, may we take the message of his love, of his salvation, to those around us, that they too can choose you. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you so much for meeting with us in such a powerful way this morning. Amen.